Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. If you'd like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Thanks, Phil. Well, here we are. You know, I think a lot about culture. I have two words that probably on a prophetic plane have been passing through my spirit over and over and over. The two words are relationship and culture. And I've been praying into and just kind of, it's on my radar. And so I've been kind of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So God, what is it about relationship and culture? What, what is it that you want to speak to your people? But well, before I do that, I want to do something. Um, Tyler and Will, come up here. Anna, come here. And uh, Jason, come here. These are incredible people that I, I have got to hang out with. And um, I, I told Anna about 30 minutes ago, uh, I'm going to call you up. And the other three had no idea I was going to call them up. Um, but I do know there's a scripture in Matthew says, don't be afraid to open your mouth. The Holy Spirit will fill it. He will. Come here. Why, why are you guys standing way back there? Like he, I, yep, use deodorant. Yep. Um, so I want you to answer this question. This young girl right here is obviously Pastor Philip Carey's daughter. And um, I've been challenging her. She's very quiet, very, one of the sweetest girls you probably ever meet. She reminds me, actually, you remind me of Cindy, like everybody likes you. Like, you know, it's just like personalities like this. And now you're a different story anyway. <laughs> um, but, but I want you to answer this question for me. Will just got back from Bethel out in California. Tyler and Jason um, have been hanging out with Jason a lot, um, doing a lot of brotherhood. But I want you to answer, Anna, you're getting ready to go into homeschooling season, right? But, you know, I have said to her that she leads by the example of her life. She's not real out there and real boisterous and real sanguine in her personality, but just by who she is, she leads. And so I've been calling her out, trying to challenge her to just be a bit more vocal, but be who she is at the same time. So when you think about your friends, right, both in the church and if you have any outside the walls, in your generation, what is it that you have a responsibility to do to make an impact on your peers? That's what I want you to answer. And now you better pray for the Holy Spirit to fill your mouth. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I feel like just, just in a way, just like calling out good things in people and just showing them Jesus through little acts and ways and stuff that aren't very big but could mean a lot, you know, stuff like that. And just, yeah. How many know the littlest things have the big impacts, right? <laughs> Right. And, you know, in all of her quietness and all of her personality, um, she helped lead. We do these barn nights over at the Coles where we just worship God as the youth and the staff. <clears throat> and she led. Was that the first time? Right. You helped lead uh, worship. Hmm. First time at barn night. Yes. Yes. First time at barn night. She has led worship before. But um she sets an incredible example um, just by who she is. And I am proud of Anna. Uh, it really goes back to parenting, right? Good job, Carrie. Philip, good job. Um, parenting matters. We look at our children and we see things and we go, I think that looks like me. Right? And then there's other things we look at our children and go, that's my girl right there. 
that's, that's my keeper, keeper. And then we've got big dude here. I mean, we got two, two huge guys. You know what? In youth ministry, I just learned to have bodyguards. <laughs> I, just, I just, got, just got huge ones. Um, Jason, um, you're getting ready to go off to school, right? What, what are you anticipating will help you have an influence on the culture? Have an influence on the culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm. It's weird because I'm 35. So doing school again is an odd thing, and it's only once a week. It's a three-hour drive to Fredericksburg. If y'all were here for Awake in the Dawn, I'm going to their revived school part-time. Um, and influencing the culture. It's interesting uh, because when I think of that, I think of what we did this morning, where we have the guys that are older. I am older, I have to accept that, you know, because in youth group, I'm old. But um, we are the ones that have people like you who mentor us, and it's our job to take kids under our wing and show them the right way. Um, So for our generation, it's just too, it's weird because we're stuck in that middle phase of life where we're not old enough to be wise, but we're not young enough to be naive. So we have to accept the fact that we are now the teachers. So we get taught by you and then we have to pass on the message. Good. So. Your turn. Culture. You manage, right? Mm-hmm. Young men and women. What makes an influence on them? Oh boy. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess just like being like Jesus, you know? Like. That works. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But like, it's. You know, I, I remember, like, when I was in college, I had this, uh, I had this one patient. I used to be a physical therapist assistant, and uh, this guy had a stroke. He was, like, 94 years old and, like, couldn't talk. But, like, at that time, I wasn't walking with God. But, like, I saw who God was, like, through his smile. You know, he couldn't talk, but, like, he could smile at me, and I knew God loved me. And it's, like, those little things I'm finding, like, just being there for people and asking how their day is and even a smile can like show Jesus to them. So good. William just went out west. What did you learn? Just to be closer to God and just we get really busy in life and I get really busy in life and we wanna like rush on to the the next thing, like, you know, video games at my age and friends and all that, but just to take the quiet times, which I'm still struggling with, but just to just sit with Jesus, I guess. That's, yeah. Those are four pretty good sermons, right? And in conclusion, (laughs) thank you guys. You may have a seat. Um, So, so let me talk about culture just a little bit and what I think Jesus did in the midst of his culture that changed it. Because I think that's what we're all kind of, we're looking at the culture, we're looking all around us, and we're finding that culture is changing at a rapid pace. And so everything has a culture. Providence Community Church has a culture. A high school has a culture. Work has a culture that you work in. Neighborhoods have cultures. Cities and towns have cultures. States have cultures. Here in our state, we say things like, use guys. I lived in Mississippi for three years. They don't say use guys. They say y'all. Regions have cultures. You live down south, I promise you, you will not find too many young people that won't say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. You come north, and that's not the culture. I kind of like it, but it's not the culture. So culture is all around us all the time. And, you know, I used, um, I used Webster to kind of define it. Culture is the patterns of learned and shared behavior and beliefs of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. How many young adults have a culture? Grayheads have a culture. 35-year-olds have a culture. 
We all have culture that defines our life, and yet we are sat as followers of Christ in the midst of a culture, and we have to decide what we're going to do to influence that culture, and sometimes the culture seeps into the church. Sometimes culture gets even more personal, and it creeps into the row you're sitting in. And then sometimes culture gets really, really personal and it creeps into your heart, right? And I don't think there's anybody in this room, including myself, because if I could this morning, and I forgot it, but I was going to bring a mirror that stands about this eye, and I was going to tell you that I'm going to preach a message to myself. And I was gonna look at the mirror, and oh, by the way, you get to hear the message I'm gonna preach to myself. Because there's not too many preachers that stand on a platform that God hasn't been working that thing in their heart before they say it to other people. So culture is something that is absorbing my thoughts. Relationship is something that's absorbing my thoughts. You know the one thing that most Americans don't have, and I would say probably most of us in this room, and that is margins of time. Because we live our lives at such a hurried pace that if I talk to you about what I'm gonna to talk to you about today, the first thing that comes off of your plate is what I'm about to say to you. Because we don't have time margins. I just got done listening to a podcast series on eliminating hurry and hustle out of your life. Some of the titles were things like obscurity. I went through a whole season of my life where God said, Tom, are you okay with living in the place of obscurity or do you need to be known? And Nathan will ask me to stand on this platform and preach and I say, Nathan, I will preach, but I don't need a turn. I don't. You know why I don't need a turn? Because every day I wake up, I get platforms. Every day I have a platform. I had a three hogs barbecue platform this week. And it broke into church. Three hogs church, you ever done that? You get to eat at three hogs church. Barbecue. I just wanna say Matt Schwartz, John Allgaier, Jason Driver, Dustin Madrin, Luke Flickinger. Who else did I have? Caleb Kinsley even jumped in on the end. Who else do we have? Did I miss somebody? Who? Oh, me, me, me. Put those two basketball hoops up out there. Everybody okay? We are, all, right. all right, thumbs up. We're good. I just want to make sure nobody got hurt. Um, we put up two basketball hoops and a volleyball net in case you didn't see those when you drove in today. Um, and, then, and then we had Mod Church. So... Matt and John came by and dug the holes and poured the concrete. We had Three Hogs Church, and then we put all that up yesterday, and then we went and had Mod Church. See, I like to, well, most Christians like to eat at church, right? Like, we know how to fellowship around food. So my question for myself, how in the world do I change culture? It seems too big. It seems overwhelming. It seems like I can't do this. The one thing that's on my radar for Providence community, there's a culture in this church. Part of this culture is a amazing worship atmosphere. It's a culture. Not every church has this, trust me. Been around the block. This culture has powerful preaching of the word from this pulpit. Not because I'm speaking, but I'm telling you, every man or woman, Kelly, Nathan, uh, Caleb, Chris Dupre, Steve S. Palmer, anybody that stood at this pulpit has just the word, the word. So there's the word culture. You know what God is putting in my heart? Nick and Rose Rector have been sent by God. The reason they've sent by God is because we have an anemic part of our culture that needs to be strengthened. You ready? A prayer culture. See, stage three has been set up as a prayer room. 
But today, it's too empty. Because I've read the book. You read the book? The Bible? Jesus in that culture? There's something that he did. It's a foundation he lived his life off of that absolutely cannot be avoided and cannot be bypassed. It's prayer. When I say prayer, everybody already has their, on their radar what that means to them. I have said prayers like the cuss word in the church. Because if you call the people to pray, like everybody come to worship, right, Philip? Well, most everybody. I mean, we, we had a good time this morning. Like, that was killer worship. Like, I love it. Feeds my emotions. It touches my heart. I get to communicate with God. And then we say, hey, come to prayer. I'm good. I'm, I'm too busy. You can't, you can't get there. You can't affect the culture without it. You just can't. So let's look at it. Here we go. You ready? Matthew 24. I'm going to buzz you through this. Here's culture. I'm going to define culture through the word of God. Matthew 24. Jesus, verse 3, was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age and the end of the age? Jump down to verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. That's inspiring. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Anybody want to pick up a mirror? It's mirror check time. How many know hearts get cold and it's kind of like the frog in the kettle, right? The temperature keeps going up and we get just a little further and a little further and a little further and a little further away from God and pretty soon we find out my heart grew cold. Let's read that again. What's it say? Because of the increase of wickedness. Is it more wicked today than it was 10 years ago? That was a good opportunity to shout me down and go, yeah, it is. Amen. Come on. Is it more wicked than it was 20 years ago? Is it more wicked than it was last year? Are we going to get better next year? It's prophesied in Matthew 24. The love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's the good news. Standing firm to the end. How many know you can sit at church and grow cold? Come on, Tom, preach. All right, I think I will. You can sit in church and grow cold. So it takes sitting alone with God Scary proposition, but God, I don't have time. But you got to get some margin in your life then. You got to make time. You know, Jesus and David gave us a great example. Teenagers will not like this. Young adults probably will not like this. They got up early in the morning to seek God. Why? When I got up at six o'clock this morning and I was running through my neighborhood, the sun was just coming up. And guess who was not out there? People. <laughs> guess what I did see? A deer walk across the road in front of me. Because early in the morning, it's quiet. Early in the morning, there's no distractions. Reading this podcast, the one guy says, you know, I've decided not to pick my phone up until 9.30. How many know most of us would have a heart attack if we didn't pick our phone up till 9.30? Because now, again, I'm preaching to myself. You ready? I'm preaching to Tom. Come on. I'm just letting you hear. First thing we do is pick up our phone. How many likes did I get? Did anybody text me? Anybody see my Instagram? Because I put a really good one out there. They say 70%, 77% of young adults, when nothing they have to occupy their time, 
77% of them pick up their phone. We're addicted. We are. We're all addicted. I, I confess in front of you while I preach to myself, I, I'm, I'm closer to addicted to my phone than I'm not free from my phone. I'm going to start to practice some things to break the addiction. But how many know it's difficult? So here we have painted in Matthew 24, and if sometime you want to read that whole chapter, it's really what's the signs of the end of the times? Increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Does that scare you? Does that put the fear of God in you? Because it does me. I don't want my heart to grow cold. But I know because of the increase of wickedness in the culture that we live in, that is a real possibility while I sit in church. Let's jump over to uh, 2 Timothy 3. Verse number one, but mark this. Again, we're, we're just defining culture. There will be terrible times in the last days. Boy, that's inspiring. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive. Disobedient to their parents. disobedient to their parents. Youth pastors have to say it three times. Disobedient to their parents. If they start obeying you, you've now defined revival in your home. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. Oh, that never happens in church. <laughs> without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Are you inspired yet? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do we live in a society that is full of pleasure or what? You can sit in church and be full of pleasure. You guys okay? I'm preaching to me. You just get to listen. Come on. Just saying. Don't, don't take it personal yet. <sighs> lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. Revelations, jump over to Revelations chapter two. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about, that's culture culture. Let's talk a little bit about church culture. Now we're gonna hit home. Now we're gonna talk about Providence Community Church and all the churches that exist. Chapter two to the church of Ephesus, verse number four. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Verse seven, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church of Smyrna, verse number nine. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Who thinks that's coming? I do. It's already happened in Canada, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. See, when you look at this world, I love Paul. When you look at this world as this is not it, this is not my home. I'm a vapor, I'm here, and I am gone. I don't know how I got to 65 years old, but somehow it happened. I'm here. I look around and I go, wow, if I only had a vapor to start with, this vapor is dissipating really fast. Keith, we gotta make it count, right? We gotta make this count. You wanna read on? 
Here we go. The church of Pergamum. Verse number 14, I have a few things against you. How many know it's not, it's not good when you see red in your Bible and it says, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Hmm. You think our culture has any issues with sexual immorality? You think anybody sitting in chairs in church have issues with sexual immorality? Ah, preaching to myself. You just get to listen. Thyatira, verse number 20. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Chapter three. This is to the church. Verse number one. About halfway down, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. It's pretty lively this morning, wasn't it? But you are dead. How many know you can shout and dance and worship and your heart can be empty? You can. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Jump down to verse 10, Church of Philadelphia. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I like the Church of Philadelphia. Church of Laodicea, last one. Here we go. You ready? Verse number 15. I know your deeds, that they are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of the mouth, out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Come on. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me. See, I just read to you about what is going to happen in the culture in the last days and what's happening in the church culture. And now we have to decide how we're going to respond. Tom Sipling looks in the mirror and has to decide how he is going to respond. I'm not perfect. I have failed more than once. Into the thousands, I'm sure. But every day I wake up, I look at Cindy and I say, today's a gift from God. May we be able to go out and share the fruits of the Spirit. That's my goal. And then God, whatever platform you give me today, I pray that I can be you. If it's basketball church putting up, if it's Three Hogs Church with John and, and Matt, Wherever you send me, whatever you do with me, God, may I, may I, in that platform, be the fruits of the Spirit. May I be gentleness and kindness and love and joy and peace and faithfulness. Because if I can get the fruit right, how many know then the gift matters? But if I don't get the fruit right, how many know the gift doesn't matter? God's not interested in your gift. He's interested in your character, your integrity, who you are. Who you are will always trump what you do. So, so let's take a look at it. How did Jesus handle the culture? Go to Luke chapter four. I promise I won't preach to myself too much longer. <laughs> I got 45 minute ride home. I can preach the rest of this to myself going home. Chapter four, verse one. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How many knows what about to happen? The testing of Jesus Christ is about to happen. How many have ever gone through a test? God has brought circumstances. He's brought things in your life that you would rather not have to do. I remember walking across the walkway that went over the road at Cleveland Clinic and looking at Cindy and going, I really don't want to be here. 
But the reality was I was there and I was walking across the walkway about to go have surgery. But I decided while I'm getting ready and prepared to have cancer surgery, I might as well just use my platform. I'm laying in the prep room and the nurse comes in and I start to talk to her and she's having marriage difficulties. And so I get, I, Tom just becomes Tom. And I get to love her with the love of Jesus Christ. And she goes, gee whiz. She goes, you, you are going into surgery and yet you're making me feel better. See that, when, when we live like Jesus did, when the testings of our life come, that's when we find out what we're made of, what's in here. Paul's sitting in prison. What's he doing? He's having a Philip Herndon worship service. Right? And I'm like, when we get into our tests and trials, what do we do with them? I get it. It's easy to moan and groan and not want to be in it. And, but it's for one purpose, and that is to fashion you into the image of Jesus Christ. We will all go through difficult days. We will go through things we never signed up for. We will look at our spouse if you're married and go, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to go through this, but you're going to walk through it anyway. How did Jesus get through it? Well, here we go. You ready? Let's jump over to Luke 5, 16. I've probably said this to you, and I will say it 100,000 more times. This is my life verse. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. How are you going to make it through the culture that we're living in? You're going to have to change your time margins. And you're going to have to find a place to withdraw and to sit with God alone. And you know why some of us don't want to sit alone with God? Because we sit alone with our thoughts and we don't like our thoughts. And so silence becomes our betrayer, not our helper. But God is calling you to silence. He's calling you to sit with him. I think I've shared with you my favorite place is this back dock back here. Why is that my favorite place? Because I get to look at this green open field and the woods. And when I look at nature and I see the clouds rolling by, it reminds me how big and how deep and how wide God really is because he created it. And there's a lot of times I sit in silence with God and I get something out of it. And there's other times I sit with God and there's all kinds of activity going through my brain that, that is not helping me. It's hurting me. But I've got to wrestle through that place of silence. I've got to wrestle through the place where the voices are coming until I get to the other side of them and I find Jesus talking to me. He wants to talk to you. Some of us are more in love with the word of God than we are the one who wrote the word of God. Right? You know, you can have a prayer life and be distant from God. You know that, right? It's called a Pharisee. So it's not about whether you attend prayer in that stage three and you're there five times a week and we all applaud you because you're so disciplined. Listen, he wants to sit with you. End of it all. So we moved to South Africa. Spent five years in South Africa. My entire time in South Africa was this. God, whatever you're doing, I want to try and figure out what you're doing and I want to join your thing. People go, what are you going to do in South Africa? I go, I have no idea. I know we're going to do the 30-second kneel down because that's the prayer movement that they called me over here to to mobilize their young people, but outside of that, I have no idea. And I would go, and I would go around the ocean, and you have to build to this place, and I would sit for eight hours, just me and God, the ocean. A whale would jump every now and then. And I just wanted to be with him. Some of us have gotten addicted to ministry. We need addiction to Jesus. Because out of the place of rest, out of this place, Jesus withdrew often to the lonely place and prayed. Comes John chapter 5, verse 19. Turn there real quick. Come on, I'm going to land the plane. Hang in there. Here it is. 
Let's start verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. You think if you stand up for Jesus Christ in this culture that we're living in now, there won't be somebody that may not try to physically kill you, but they will try to cancel you. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus woke up every day going, dad, what are you doing? I just wanna do what you're doing. I've learned to live my life that way, not perfectly, but it's on my radar. People will ask me to do something. I've learned to say no because I know I need margins in my life. I need time to sit with the father. I need time to sit with him. Because when Jesus comes out of that place, he sees what the father's doing. And so when there's a woman at the well who's been married five times and living with a guy, it's not an interruption for Jesus. It's what he's doing. We find some people an interruption in our life. And God's going, no, 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 no. I put them there. Stop your stinking schedule. Slow down and love them like I've told you to love them. It's what he's called us to. He's not called us to build a huge ministry. He's not called me to build a great big youth program. He's called me to get young people to understand the presence of God and then to go share that presence with everybody they come in contact with. That is as simple as it gets. So I threw a post out this last week and I asked young people from my other three youth ministries because I wanted to kind of gauge what, what, what's important to young people from my past so that I know what I want to build around today. Here it was. Tom, you and Cindy were vulnerable, transparent, and real, and you loved us. Second thing was, you introduced us to the presence of God. They didn't say anything about a sermon I preached. They didn't say anything about a program we ran. They didn't say anything about a camp. It came down to two things, the relationship I had and the introduction of this relationship. See, at the end of the day, it all becomes this vertical thing. And then when I get this vertical thing, I get to do this horizontal thing. That's called church. This is bonus right here. I can tell you, honestly, I can tell you this with all sincerity, Three Hog Church this week was just as good as this. Two guys sitting at a table, eating barbecue, sharing life together because men need brotherhood. Men need brotherhood, but we're too busy. You want to change culture? You got to find him. You got to sit with him. Don't use worship to get you fired up to find God. Find God without worship. Find God without the Bible because you know what? While worship and the Bible are really, really, really important, they're not a person. He's a person. And all he's waiting for, I paint this picture all the time. My daughter even into her teen years had to be in the privacy of our home wasn't cool in public would jump up on my lap and sit on my lap I'd put my arms around her And we never verbalized the moment. It was just her and me in a quiet moment with an embrace. Oh my word, so much is, so much is exchanged in moments like that. 
And that's the picture I have with God. He just is saying, guys, could you just slow down? Could you just come jump up on my lap? A little harder for us guys, right? It is. And could you just let me put my arms around you? Give you a man hug? Because listen to me, when, when that begins to happen in our hearts, culture changes. It's not overly important to me that I see people in that room, although I think that's the culture I would love to see at Providence Community Church. Prayer, prayer. You can't get to revival in anywhere over all of time that they bypassed prayer and revival showed up. You can't do it. It's, not, it's, it's impossible. Prayer is what invites God to come. And so we have to examine our hearts. We have to ask ourselves, has our heart grown cold while we sit in church? I want to play this prayer. This is going to be the close. And then I'm going to let you decide what to do with the moment. This is Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill is a revivalist from the past. Godly man. And if it, if it moves on your heart, I understand we all have a margin right now. And some of you are going, Tom, you have way past the margin. Okay. Because I can tell you that when we allow time margins to exit our world and we don't be in such a hurry and hustle, God will find his way onto our radar. So here's, I don't care where you're sitting in this room, all the way in the back, all the way in the front, somewhere in between. If, if as this prayer is playing, it antagonizes you to a response, then I'm going to ask you to take whatever time you want to give it to come and kneel here and say, God, what I heard today I need you. I don't want my heart to grow cold sitting in church. We're we're not yet at a place in the body of Christ generally where we're changing culture. Culture is changing us. We got to turn the tide. Got to turn the tide. You ready, guys? Chris, you want to play that? And uh, as it plays, if compels your heart, just come and kneel in the front here. I'm sick of theology and words. We need God to move in our midst. Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. The one thing that alarms me in America and England is that there is no alarm in the church. You say America needs God. No, she doesn't. The church needs God. If the church gets God, America will soon feel it. She'll be staggering. A preacher said something the other day that's very disturbing to an audience that he was addressing. He said, I want to tell you that if God withdrew the Holy Spirit from my church today, it would function tomorrow the same way we wouldn't even know he'd God. And methinks that might be written of many churches in that we become so mechanical. We go in at 11 and come out at 12 and the Holy Ghost must come when we open the door of the church and he must leave when we lock it. And we try and lay down the track and say, come Holy Ghost, for thee we call spirit of burning, come, but come our way. We've laid down the conditions. Holy Ghost, come, but please don't violate our theology. 
Don't upset our status quo. Don't break our hearts over the lost world. Oh, yes, yes, preachers. You and I will raise our hats to Finney and Gould. And we raise our hats to the martyrs. And we thank God for the last drop of their blood. But we won't give him the first drop of ours. I can't live another day without the fire of God consuming me everything that's unchristlike, consuming me everything which hinders surrender everything. That's revival. When you can't sit through the meeting, you feel you've got a burning cancer. If I don't get to the cross now, I may die before the meeting's over. Every preacher who has lost the fire, you should be on your face down here. You used to burn, but you got so busy with organizing, the fire has gone out. Come on. You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. Listen, if our God is a consuming fire, and He is, if He takes a residence in you, you'll burn till you die. God needs a torch of holy fire in your house. He wants a fire in you to read the word of God to your family. He wants the fire of God, your neighbors will know. I can't live in coldness anymore. I can't live in blindness anymore. I can't be indifferent to a dying world. Yes. Glory. Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. We need relationship with you. More than church, more than worship, we need you. We need the silent moments with you. We need the times to meditate on your word with you. Jesus, it's easy to sit in church and grow cold. It's part of being an audience. We rate the service on what we get. God, we need an army. God, we need an army. We need an army of young men, young women that have fire in their heart. church with a prayer culture we can't bypass it expose our hearts father Jesus I ask that prayer would be the norm culture. Personal alone time with you, Father, and corporate crying out. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. God, we need corporate praying people search my heart God search my comforts Lord ruin my agenda change my time margins judgment begins in the house of God first will be called a house of prayer. We need praying people. It's costly. It's time consuming. But oh so worth it. Oh so worth it.
Jesus, I know this, that when you truly show up in this church, you show up in this place, a fire will burn in our hearts. Sin will be confessed that we hold on to. Culture will be shifted because we burn brightly. Jesus, I ask, ruin us with your love. Ruin us with your love. This world is fleeting and it's passing. It's not important. It's not our home. God, would you begin to sovereignly move at Providence Community Church and call people with an insatiable desire to pray, to cry out to you, to find you in their personal alone time out wherever they are. God, would you find a corporate group of people that want and have an insatiable desire to get together to cry out to you? God, some of us have postponed prayer in our life because we don't feel like it works. Some of us have postponed prayer because it's boring and people that gather aren't passionate about you. And I pray, God, change the climate. Change the atmosphere. God, you have sent Nick and Rose Rector by divine appointment. I believe that with all of my heart. A church walking with worship culture, word culture, and prayer culture is a dangerous church. And God, we know that prayer is the ingredient to saying, God, we can't do this without you. God, may the wind of your presence blow over our hearts. Take the chaff. Fill the empty places. Heal the wounded heart. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 